There's a bit of lithium going on in today's episode, Ricardinho. Azure Minerals, potential change of control. <laughs> we can pretty much be certain that it's um, an offer coming from SQM on this one. The big winner in all of this, Maddie, is Big Mark Creasy. They haven't even got a resource yet in the billions of dollars of bid for a deposit that doesn't even have a mineral resource estimate yet. It's Wildcat. Wildcat. I'll, I'll remember that next time. The headline number is 85 metres at 1.5%, and this one, unlike previous headline numbers, is drilled perpendicular to the ore body. The AFR reporting yesterday that MinRes has been sounding out investors of Wildcat to buy shares off-market. i got another question for you, Maddie. Do you think it's a good or bad thing for a lithium developer to have MinRes pop up with a 15% shareholding in its stock? Righto, g'day Money Warners, back for another week, 23rd of October, Ricardinho Monday, bit, bit going on today mate, Azure in a trade and hold for a change of control, have a guess who that might be with. Oh, mate, and they're not the only lithium player out there with some big news today. There's a bit of lithium going on in today's episode, Ricardinho. Big time mate, Wildcat, It's big, um Stonker, Wildcat. I'll, I'll remember that next Thanks, time. Thanks, <laughs> I hear that's catching on around the terrace, so she's good to know, Maddie. On plenty of WhatsApp messages, mate. <laughs> uh, we're, and we'll go into the Liontown funding. Well, I don't think we've actually released on Money of Mine yet what the actual funding arrangement was after all our spitballing about it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Yeah, and then we've got some other stuff developed, SQM, Pira. So keen to talk about it all with you, Maddie, and you're back. You're back from your BD session oh, down south. Turn this bloody... Mate, tell you what my... Um, we know I'd like a bit of BD, Travs. I went down for the Southwest Connect, but on on day one, like my commitment to the Money of Mine team and the Money Miners is that I pumped out 24 hours of BD in a row. So, like, was it actually like a full 24 hours... Day shift, hours knife shift. Stint, or did you... Full 24 did hours. Did you squeeze 24 hours worth of BD into a normal 12-hour day? Squeezed... Nah, squeezed 24 hours of BD in a 24-hour period. <laughs> Just went... Like like when the Prime Minister's on the bloody campaign for the final vote, mate, doesn't go to sleep. That's what I did for the money miners, mate. Hold on, mate. I'm glad... Good um, times. I'm glad we have complimentary skill sets because um, I would not be putting my hand up for that one, but I'm glad you did. Happy to, happy to help, money <laughs> miners. Paid for it the next day. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, right, Trav, let's get it. Mate, the sponsors for today, you'd say the sponsors for today are money of mine. This is... I'm going to try something a bit different, Maddie. So Let's bear, mix it up. Bear with me on this one. This is a pitch to you, the listener, the money miners. So hear, hear, hear us out here, right? I'm keen to talk about the merit of becoming an advertising partner with Money of Mine. Maddie, we embarked on this a bit over six months ago now, you, myself, and Jonas all together, and we're building a media business providing commentary on the industry we all love. Love it. Love the mining industry. We do. And we've taken a bit of a different strategy building out this business than you've typically seen out there from the incumbent media landscape to date. Is that like taking money off everyone? <laughs> or avoiding taking money off everyone. Or avoiding taking money off everyone. That's yeah. what, yeah, we're trying to um, avoid. I think, like, you speak around to a lot of our listeners and there is there's a few common themes. People people love the diversity of, um, you know, like that we bring in terms of just like our different backgrounds and put it all that together. Another common theme you hear when you ask people what they like about our show, it's the fact that we're independent. We're, we're sort of, you know, unencumbered from who's paying us money perspective. Um, and and if you look around in the industry, one of the unfortunate realities is that um, everyone seems to have a conflict of interest in some way, shape or form. And frankly, the absence of, you know, quality, unbiased commentary was a big motivator for us to build the business that we have in this industry. And I think that informs our intentional decision to avoid monetizing our business by accepting money from the kinds of companies we talk about in exchange for coverage. The subconscious bias, as we say, Trav, as soon as yeah. you talk to someone, I'm like, oh, geez, that's a good bloke <laughs> or a good Sheila. I won't talk bad about their company. Yeah. We want to avoid that. Well, I'm, we, I'm, we are avoiding that. We're avoiding that, but we're avoiding even, um, I mean, that's sub subconscious bias. We're avoiding bias because you're promoting, you're, pay, you're paid to promote, and that's, that's just not what we're doing. So as we grow, right, we still need a way to keep the lights on, and so we brought in advertisers. And we've been really thoughtful about our advertisers. You look at them, 
They're industry-adjacent service providers. Think drilling companies, power solutions, recruiters, exploration services, fund managers. They aren't speculative ASX-listed mining co's that require equity capital in order to stay alive. They aren't stockbrokers, and that decision has been deliberate. We want to bring you, the money miners, our views and analysis unencumbered. (laughs) And we're keen to bring on more sponsors who provide um, industry-adjacent services into the mix. So if you run a business that provides services in some way, shape, or form to our industry and you like what what we do. As in what we do is not do pre-recorded ads and play the same (laughs) one every time. It's from the heart every time we present a sponsorship. Exactly. Money miners and exactly. businesses out there. A hundred percent, mate. And um, so I've made a list of pros and cons. Oh, here we go. It's <laughs> like a bit of a SWOT analysis. This is why you should inquire to become a Money of Mind sponsor. On the pros list, Maddie. Pros. Number one, Maddie will personally call you a GC on a regular basis. You have to be a GC and that's like, is that part of the- It's a, it's a minimum threshold. A minimum yeah. threshold, yeah. 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 Num- number two- Advertising with us is literally the most effective way to reach the actual decision makers in our industry. The MDs, the board directors, the C-tiers, they all fucking listen to the show. And they're, they're actually the top uh, percentage demographic on uh, job title on the LinkedIn yeah. following when you see our post analytics is You're managing director. The number one job title of people that engage with our content, MDs. So you reach them directly, them and 8,000 other people every single day listen to our show or watch it on YouTube. And it's a hyper-targeted audience, right? Number three, our ads are unique. Like you said, Maddie. they're entertaining, they're memorable. There's nothing like them out there and we say them in our own voice. And number four, we intentionally stick to one ad per show. We don't want to dilute the product and we don't want to dilute the ad. We want, you know, we want to go nuts giving our best to the advertisers that pay us. Hence, we do one ad per show. And it's funny, it's hilarious, it's part of the entertainment value. On the con list, Matty. What's the cons, mate? I'm interested to hear these. (laughs) I had to really think thoughtfully about this because I don't think there's too much downside advertising. There probably is one. There is one. Matty might get so passionate calling you a GC that he actually forgets to explain what your business does. Sorry, um, Terra Capital and Anytime Exploration, Ed and Kedra, pretty much everyone, will, yeah, they get to the end a lot. What's the company actually do? Yeah. Yes, get in Get in touch with us. Yeah. Matt at moneyofmind.com or Travis at moneyofmind.com or oh, we've got to change JD's mm. email. It's Jonas Jones. at moneyofmind.com. But the thing, and, you know, after talking to the people at down at the conference, Trav, Southwest Connect, cheers to Vertical Events for uh, flicking us a ticket, and – is the way I explained it, and people said, "What's your what's your competitive advantage?" And thing, or listening, talking to me in public, and talking to you in public is exactly like talking to us on the show. That is our brand. We don't put a corporate cover on. No. This is us. This is how we are. This is what we want to do. And the way we like to analyze everything is just like you're having a convo with your mates, talking to stock. Mm-hmm. And that's why what's going to separate us in the field. Ricardo so agree, mate. Get in touch. So, uh, mate, good prep there. I was just going to send it. That's why we work well together, mate. <laughs> Complimentary skills, mate. Sensational, mate. Right, Azure Minerals (AZS). They're in a trading halt pending an announcement. They went into a pause in trade and now a trading halt regarding a potential change of control. Now. I don't think it would be anyone other than SQM. Mm-hmm. Haven't got any word that confirmed it is, but look, yeah, twenty percent shareholder. Uh, she's pretty much a bloody guarantee. Yeah, and we should talk about why, right? So I bring up here, um, like Azua's major shareholders. You've got SQM with nineteen point nine percent, Creasy Group thirteen point two percent, who marginally increased that last week from memory. Then Deutsche Balleton slash Delphi, the the Germans, uh, with just under 11% there. So the way to interpret like that share registry is you need SQM to be on your side in order to get a deal done. If SQM doesn't agree, like, you know, you're not going to get a deal done, which would lead you to think that like the 19.9% stake, it's such a deterrent to anyone else to kind of come in over the top because SQM obviously have like they're, they're going to need a massive premium in order to accept because they've got, you know, they've got, um, you know, the other 
uh, they've got a strategic interest in that yeah. stake for a reason, right? Same um, as Jonah with Lion Town, exactly. And they're well, a bit different because Jonah yeah. doesn't really have a price. So for yeah. for those that don't know, we're talking about the Andover Lithium project up in the Pilbara in Western Australia, and Azure own sixty percent of the project, and Mark. Creasy or the Creasy Group owns 40%, but as I said, Creasy Group owns 13.2% of Azure yep. as well. Yeah, so and Creasy's 40% is uh, free carry. Plus the other the other reason why you know, we can pretty much be certain that it's um, an offer is coming from SQM on this one is because SQM previously chucked in a bid, which is public uh, public knowledge as confirmed mm. by Azure. So and knocked back. Knocked back, yeah. yeah. That, that bid was at $2.31 a share. Azure confirmed they received that bid um, and the bid was was submitted on the 12th of July, 2023. Now, the stock ran all the way up to $2.96 on the speculation and then Azure ultimately um, announced confirming that they'd received that bid. The big winner in all of this, Matty, is big Mark Creasy, right? So let's- Absolutely. He was already <laughs> winning with the free carried interest. Now- Oh, the icing on the- Like there's just- he's, Yeah, he's going to be a massive winner here. And, le- and let's just- uh, make it clear that before we get into why he's winning so much, they haven't even got a resource yet. This yeah. company, like this, is a this is a uh, plus in the billions of dollars of bid for a deposit that doesn't even have a mineral resource estimate yet. It's just got an exploration yeah. target of one hundred to two hundred forty million tons. Yeah. Of lithium between, I think, was at one and one and a half percent, I think. So it does yep. not even have a resource. Doesn't even have a resource. Phenomenal. And it's not even like you're acquiring hundred percent of the project. There's still um there's still a you know, a partner there in Creasy. And the fact that SQM are obviously well, we're assuming SQM, but the fact that they're they're wrapping up a, a deal with Azure first rather than um, tidying up anything with Creasy first, you know, probably probably just worked out that way from the negotiation perspective. But but like think of think of Creasy, right? He will get a payday um, as a thirteen point two percent owner of Azure here, and then is free carried on that other forty percent until FID. So any funding on that, all the resource drilling, all the infill drilling, all the studies, all of that is going to be you know funded by SQM. SQM will benefit in some sense being the operator at that stage, assuming they get 100% control of Azure. Um, but you know the dynamics of Creasy. Think about Creasy. He doesn't he doesn't have to do anything. There's no funding pressure. Nothing like that required. And value just gets added to this project over time by SQM's dollar. So um, you know for, for Creasy's kind of got no, no incentive to necessarily consolidate or fold in his remaining 40% share anytime soon unless he you know took a um, a contrary view on the lithium market but but he can just sit there patiently relaxed and and um, the value of, of his 40% grows yep and then and then SQM you know maybe maybe around FID they look to do a deal and um and Creasy's Creasy can kind of talk turkey then but mate like think about that 40% if I was a hungry investment banker you know what I'd be doing I'd be pitching. I'd be pitching to Creasy to IPO his forty percent interest. Um, you could free up more of his capital if you wanted to allocate it elsewhere, but he still remains in the controlling seat there. Right now, so what the the deal's worth about? So what their their market cap at the moment's a bit over one billion at two dollars forty four. So let's say mid mid threes. That's about one and a half billion for the Azure stake. Plus, so that's value in the project at about two point four billion dollars if you include Creasy's stake. Uh, before it even a mineral resource estimate, so it's pretty, looking pretty remarkable, right? Yeah, there's um, there, there wouldn't be too many deals in in um, resources history, at least that come to mind for me, where you transact at such a such a you know a, a big gro- you know gross number in the billions pre resource. Like I'm sure there are deals that have happened that just don't come to mind to me, but um, people who are kind of across the history, I'd love, I just love, I'd love a list of the big deals that have done pre resource because it's um it's such like a it's a you know it's a rare it's a novelty to sort of see this stuff mm. as an observer of deals. But let's mate, no, let's nice speculate. and close to a port. No, it looks like a pretty simple uh, open pit coming up. It's um yeah it's a good uh, it's going to be a good little project. What do you yeah What do you reckon about the price? It was well, said mid threes. Should we should we should we take a punt on yeah price party and sort of conditionality of the of the deal? Well, I'm not betting against you on SQM. I think we're, SQM. Yeah, yeah that's uh, oh, has my, to be my guess on price. So it, I think it traded as high as two ninety six in the past, and people always for whatever reason get anchored to all time highs. So my guess is yeah three three bucks fifty. 
So if I – Or do you guess on price? I'll go $3.52 because right. then if I'm over. <laughs> I like it. I like it. And what about um, what about any conditionality? You just think it's subject to DD or do you think uh, DD's been done, mate, and it's, it's uh, low, low Did they do DD on the last – no, because they didn't get – they didn't get let in the door, did they? SQM. But they've been involved for a long time now, so you would think some – some yeah. part of what DD is there to do, really? <laughs> there's no fucking, there's no mineral resource like yeah. it'd be. Um, yeah, yeah. you think they'd they'd be pretty up the curve on what's going on since they were the early investor um, before the big hits even came out. So, but yep. as, as, as I say, it's three dollars fifty two for instance. Mm. What that means that forty percent of Mark Creases mm. will be sold at a minimum of three dollars fifty two. Isn't that a bargaining chip in the future for him? Well, the weird. The, the, the strange thing, right, is it's not it's not as simple as saying um, if if the sixty percent goes for X, then his price is the inferred value for forty percent because his forty percent is worth more than the equivalent forty percent in residual shares because, because he's free carried. For drilling. It's free carried, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. so the only time that yeah. it had become equivalent is after FID. However, that that analysis is absent the fact that. Uh, Creasy is not operator, so there is a, a, a premium for an operating interest in a, in a joint venture, in, in which case Azor has operational control. Um, but still so nonetheless. So do, do you think, so if you add all that up mm. once FID, like say, okay, say before FID, what do you think Creasy's uh, value of the 40% pro rata would be over or under Azor's? Oh, it's 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 worth more, I think, just because of like how many they're going to spend a couple hundred million drilling this thing out. Yeah, you'd, you'd and what about what about after FID? After FID, so like because after FID, then then it's it's it less be because par. yeah, exactly right. Well, it's less because it's non a non operating interest at that stage versus okay. So you interest. pay a bit for the control. Control, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Ah, yeah. very good, mate. Right yeah. now, say let's continue in the Pilbara region, Ricardinho, Wildcat. Big old drill it today, WC8. So they are, the headline number is 85 metres at 1.5% and this one, unlike previous headline numbers, is drilled perpendicular to the ore body. Looks true width. Looks true width. So, uh, yeah, a bit, uh, I think it's what, about 150 metres? 133. 133 from the collar yeah. on the way on the way down. So 85 metres at 1.5, thick and high grade. Uh, it's the Lear... Pegmatite, Lee, I don't know how we pronounce that properly. So, yeah. We look. can we can flash up a, um, a section on, on screen. You can see where that hit occurred. There's assays pending on two more holes that you can see on this section. That's the holes TARC 148 and TARC 161 AD. Both of those uh, holes, which have assays pending, logged about 146 metres each of Pegmatite. And since I'm not a geo Maddie, I'm going to shut up now before I completely embarrass mm. myself. <laughs> yeah, well, that yeah, well, you look at that one. That's 150, the 150 metre section would, um, yeah, if that comes back with the with the bickies, that's going to be uh, opening up a pretty significant style mineral mineralisation at depth. So, yep, the stock's up 29% today to all the way up to 60 cents per share in today. The market cap, you know, is um, it's pretty pretty hefty. So uh, that's what. So it's six hundred fourteen million now undiluted, but then I'm pretty sure it's about fifty percent on top once you fully dilute it with all the oppies and everything. So is that yep. would that be that's correct? Yeah, that it's fifty percent. Pretty sure. Yeah. Aroundabouts. Uh, yeah. The peop, yeah. There's there's still um the share count that you kind of see looking at is still not the share count that kind of factors in um, some shares that have been proposed but yet to be issued or quoted. So just just keep that one in mind. You can see, uh, yeah. So. The AFR reporting um, yesterday that MinRes has been sounding out investors of Wildcat to buy shares off market. So a bit of a double whammy today. Yeah, so a, yeah. exactly. That twenty nine percent jump is is factoring in both both the drill hit and uh, and also the, the the rumored corporate interest. And I don't think that should come as a surprise, right? MinRes's strategy um, has pretty clearly been to acquire strategic stakes in. And almost all of the WA lithium developers. Interestingly, Wildcat is the one which is unencumbered by a strategic interest 
to date, at least that you know we we know of. I suppose it hasn't been hasn't been around for long. Like yeah, yeah, it's a it's probably a time <laughs> yeah time thing. Yep. So potentially yeah, only very new to the market. Well, the fact that we're about to see a change of control in Azure, which doesn't even have a mineral resource, tells you everything you need to know about the corporate appeal of these assets, despite their early stage. I think, and I've got some interesting um, some interesting history about Wildcat for you, Maddie. You might you might enjoy this one, knowing that you're an avid fan of irrelevant history. Love history. <laughs> You'll make it relevant for me, Cobber. So Wildcat's acquisition of Tabataba completed last week through a deal with Global Advanced Metals call it GAM. GAM is owned by RCF, the private equity group. James McClements is the managing partner of RCF. James McClements is also on the board of MinRes. Mm. In 2016, MinRes purchased Wajina from GAM. Uh, in 2014, GAM sold Pilgangura to Pilbara Minerals. Um, GAM also like retains a tantalum circuit at Greenbushes. So all of those um, assets, including Tabataba, Taba, once upon a time were Sons, Sons of Gualia. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Uh, and then, but, uh, but so Tabataba Taba was the last one to be dealt out and it's now ended up in Wildcat's hands. And I, and I had this thought, given James McClements is on the board of Minres, I wonder what Chris Allison's um, attitude was on the news that Tabataba Taba was going to Wildcat. I'm, I'm, I'm sure um, Chris Allison w- would have, would have loved to have picked it up um, himself, sort of um, before it found its way to the public boards elsewhere. But, but nonetheless, I got I got another question for you, Maddie. Do you think it's a good or bad thing for a lithium developer to have Minres pop up with a fifteen percent shareholding in its stock as a shareholder or a company? If you're a shareholder, um, if you're a shareholder, and then Minres pop up there, fifteen percent. I think I think we've seen in uh, recent times, if you're looking for a bit of a takeover premium or lift in your share price, having having MinRes on there taking control mightn't be the way to get it. Look at what happened with Delta Lithium, for example. They paid a thirty percent, well, they paid the hefty premium to gain that fifteen percent shareholding, but now they've effectively and now they've got two board seats. They've got control without having to cough up a premium to take 100% of the company. Mm. So I think as a shareholder seeing MinRes come on is, yeah, it's a bit mm. – it obviously shows the the interest is, is out there, but are you going to actually get the full premium for a transaction? It's a really, really interesting point, I think, because normally, normally when you're a company and a strategic party – takes a minority interest in your company, it's validation, it's corporate interest. You start to think, oh, my God, is it going to be a contested takeover? How good is this? And I think the prevailing view in the market at the moment is that um, is that a lot of these, like, you know, lithium developers that that where, where you know, MinRes are kind of marking their territory with the 15 to 20% interest, we're not actually seeing that materialise in a takeover offer of these companies. They're actually, they're actually just blocking stakes everywhere potentially and in some ways it's minres i think you know they're they're preserving all of the optionality themselves and i think if they've taken a view that um you know wa is gonna have a, a be a big a big um big lithium province in the future then they're doing the best to kind of ensure that they're at the heart of all of that supply without actually Doing the full takeover of, of any of these these developers yet? Do you think that Minres are going to use vessels like Develop, for instance, to look at what ha- what's happened with Essential? Minres had a nineteen point five five percent shareholding in Essential. Developers now taken over Essential. Minres have approved that. Minres are also a shareholder in Develop. Do you think without Minres having to take over a lot of these companies, they'll use? other vessels that they have interest in to then use the voting power to then approve those takeovers? Would there, is there any benefit in that? Or how, if they don't do that, what's their play here? Maybe, but but I see Develop getting that as kind of just net-net. MinRes still keeps a minority interest in the um, ultimate owner of it, except now it's in the hands of someone with actual kind of development capability. Mm. Um, so it's just a benefit for Minerals while they still maintain a, a stake. Um, but how do I think about Minerals and all its positions? I just think it it basically prevents someone else from um, 
someone else from popping up. Like if, if these iron ore magnates have taken the view that lithium is going to be um, the, the, the next, you know, iron ore, then um, what are, what, what, what's happening right now is, well, um, you know, the, the huge winners of, of uh, the iron ore game kind of were the ones with the, the best, best deposits and all that sort of stuff. In this case, you know, it looks like Minrez is just trying to hoard all the rocks. <laughs> yeah, and but if you look at the way Minrez is um, with their JVs, so Wajina is it was 40-60, now it's 50-50 with, um, with Albemarle. And then you've got they had the 50-50 JV with Ganfeng at Mount Marin. They had the, obviously had the downstream JV with Albemarle at Kemerton, but then sold that to increase the Wajina stake. So pre- previously Minrez were using these big organisations as JV partners for – you know, to assist with funding. But you imagine now if Minrez has got a lot of controlling stakes in plays like Wildcat, Mount Ida, now it's, um, I guess you'd say it's part part in essential with develop and, and things. So there's global lithium. Yeah, glo- global lithium. Um, and then you've now this, uh, this little, the, the theory that's going around for a while now is this Superco with Gina, this lithium, Australian lithium spin out. If that happens and they've got control of it, he doesn't, Chris Ellison doesn't need JVs with the, any of the big four lithium companies anymore because he's going to have Gina's fund, Gina's funds to to back the whole thing. So it's a way to this lithium. It's I think it's really setting up mm-hmm. for that little self fulfilling prophecy to come true. Yeah, and you can see the uh, the public rhetoric um, from Chris when he does his his calls is there's this prevailing view that guy with the rocks sort of has you know wins. Um, you know, we're not going to be short of, of downstream capacity where, you know, if, like the real kind of um, pricing power comes to the, the hoarder of the rocks, hence the strategy is to hoard the rocks. <laughs> yeah, and, and look, I think this is a testament of where the w, the Australian hard rock lithium industry is right now. So you've got, as I said, we've got we've got Azure getting a takeover mm. for valued at about Project value of about we, two odd, well, we two know. odd, two odd billion. If it's three fifty or three fifty two, um, before a mineral resource, they they were you know the companies like this are buying into companies like that just to try and get um, right. lithium supply. So it's right. it is a hot hot thing at the moment, isn't it? Yep. Oh, good good times. Right now, may as well just stick to lithium in Pilbara. This one was an interesting well as well that popped up today, Trav, where SQM are also involved. So SQM have taken a 40% interest in Pira Lithium. Now, Pira, you won't find Pira Lithium on the ASX. It's a private company and, it look, it controls eight kilometres of the Tabba Tabba Shear um, and that will sound very familiar to Money Miners because we just mentioned it with Wildcat. So this, they've got um, – Tenants. So the Tabba Tabba South is about 20 kilometres from Wildcat's recent lithium discovery that we just talked about. So this Pira Lithium was the private spin-out from Calidus and Hyoma Mining. So we have talked about Calidus and Hyoma, how they did – I think it was a couple of years ago, I think, or a year ago. They they spun out the private lithium business mm-hmm. for the, the lithium rights for those Hyoma tenements. And so, Pira hasn't made its way – to ASX boards, nah, yet. private. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you went into the uh, into the details on this one. Okay, so these, so how SQM? There was these additional tenements that were identified by SQM, um, and these these are the ones that are owned by Hyoma. So there's a Hyoma, also a private um, private company. Okay, so the the transaction is now. Remember that at the moment this pyrolithium is. 60% owned by Hyoma Mining and 40% owned by Calidus. So how it works, Hyoma are going to vend the lithium rights of these additional tenements, and we'll show them on the screen, vend them into Pira Lithium, and Pira's, all, Pira's just got to spend half a million bucks on expiration in uh, 18 months. Pira then issues 7.5 million performance rights to Hyoma, which are convertible on a jork resource coming out of greater than 20 million tonne, greater than 1% lith within three years. SQM then enter a share sale agreement with Hyoma for 30% of their stake in Pyrrhus. I remember they own 60. So it didn't it didn't say what the value of this 30% sale was. It says 30% of, of their issued capital in Pyrrhus. So, um, yeah, it, 
and then it says SQM then subscribe for another three million in Pira shares at twenty cents to take their ownership up to forty percent. So it sounds like the three millions for that final ten percent. Not sure what they've paid for the thirty. If if um if that's money miners, let us know if you do. That's right. That that's, that's I'm, right. I'm confident. And then you can then you can see so Calidus also chipping in two million bucks. Twenty to cents. Re- retain there. They don't want to get 40%. diluted, yeah, because yeah. new shares have been issued to home, and they don't want to effectively be, be diluted. So they're tipping in more to keep a forty percent interest in this. But then, interesting, Hayoma then subscribe. Uh, Calidus are doing a share placement to Hayoma for uh, two point three million shares at fourteen cents for three hundred and thirty thousand bucks. So, which is a bit bit interesting, bit of working capital there. Wow, um, I missed that detail. Yeah, that was the. Another bit, so and because obviously Calidus are under a bit of balance sheet pressure, and they're tipping two million here. Jeez, there's a big, a bit there's a big circle oh, of money going fucking, on. <laughs> yeah, that's why it's, that bit uh, that confused me. Oh, thinking geez. about trying to figure out what they paid for the thirty percent, but it doesn't look like it's disclosed what yeah, SQN sure. paid. So then, and you look at this picture here. So you've also got the old uh, right adjacent to this additional tenement that's being vended in. You've got the old de Grey. Lithium hit. We also obviously know DeGray for uh, gold, but uh, back in 2017, they hit 17 metres at 2.5% lithium. Looks great. That's bloody good grade. And uh, the question is why wow. wasn't it Why wasn't it followed up? But you, if you look at this section of the announcement, you see the dreaded L word, lapidolite and petalite with minor inclusions of spodumene. That was from there. Uh, from their rock chips, but then so it sounds like um, that degray lithium bits are riddled with lapidolite throughout, um, and yeah, not a right. not a pure spodumene joint. So well, the, t- the lapidolite and spod- and spodumene often go sort of hand in hand. Yeah, so and I think it was just more the mine with minor inclusions of spodumene. spodumene. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, and they, look, they, I think they did release there was a two-metre section which was a rich spodumene section, but it looked like the rest of it was um, a lot of lapidolite, which we, as we know, is not a as easy to process as spodumene and it's something that you have to pretty mm. much ship off as a DSO to China. Mate, what a well-timed announcement this one is, given the fact that uh, SQM are in the news for uh, you know potential change of control of Azua. Mm. And, and, buddy... Tabatabas in the news as well, and they've called this thing the Tabatabas Shear. So yeah, it's wonder, really leveraging like, some uh, existing news flow to, to come out today. Well, I think everyone will be asking as well, is Wildcats Lithium got lapidolite in it as well? But uh-huh. you look at the assays here, Trav, I've dug in, no significant intercept for all of the uh, assays that are returned for Wildcats. So oh, it's not um, not the same as the as the Degray hit. So, yes, why? Yes, a lot. Of, very, very interesting. Um Mostly because you've got you've got SQM getting in twice. Now you've got you've got Minres going into Wildcat. It's all within the same area. There's going to be a. It looks like there's a pending uh, pending fight for control um, for this Pilbara Lithium region. It appears so. Yeah, very yeah. very. Yeah. I don't think it's you wouldn't. Me, me and you don't we we don't believe in coincidence. No, I no, don't it, think it's coincidence cool. that uh, all these bids and <laughs> the Minres Street Talk article coming out yesterday. You've got the bid for SQM today. I think there's a uh, there's a bit of a rush for control. I think there is, and that's why you're seeing a change of control for well, potential change of control for a company that doesn't have a, a mineral resource yet. And to be completely honest, Maddie, like I normally um, like like if you take Wildcat on its. Um, you know, just like where it is in terms of stage of company and all that sort of stuff. Like I really struggle to have a sensible conversation about what they've got and what it means for cash flow and all that sort of stuff because yeah. it's it's so early stage and that's just not my wheelhouse. It's just geology. Yeah, and yeah. and the reality is like um, that that doesn't matter anymore for the context of, of an M&A transaction because there's always pre-resource and we're looking at a potential change of control. So clearly the, the peep, the, you know, the corporate – interest they the corporates have been able to get up the curve far enough where um where they can take a view on on value at a, at a very early stage and that's you know in the absence of of um of, of other market participants people like me sort of being capable of getting up 
the curve to, to know where, where that value sits. So it just it's, it's a sign of times, big time, mate. Very much so, mate. Now, in continuing on with lithium, even companies that weren't lithium are now lithium developed. DVP, the takeover of essential metals. So results of the scheme meeting came through end of last week for developed to take control of the Pioneer Dome lithium project, uh, which is part of that what we call the Goldfields Lithium Arena in WA. So now remember money miners, a a scheme approval needs a minimum of 75% of the total votes to get through and 50% of the shareholders that vote by number, 50% of the individuals Mm. uh, needs to be greater than that to get approved. So the vote came through at 93% of total shares uh, got voted yes. Matty, was this this the one where the independent expert said it was uh, was. not fair, fair not fair, not, but reasonable. Not fair, but reasonable. Yeah. Not fair, but yeah. or was it the other way? Nah, not fair, fair but, but reasonable. Yeah, yeah. 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 But as and as we alluded to, that was because of developed value Sh- management price. premium and valuation. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and seventy eight percent of the voting shareholders by number um, voted in favour. So they smoked it. So implementation after the second court hearing, which is scheduled tomorrow, implementation of this. Um, Scheme yep. will be sixth of scheduled for sixth of November. So look, word is going around that uh, develops managing director, Mr. Bill Beeman, is now claiming the title Lithium Bill. But mm. following on from his, I guess his previous years at Northern Star, known as the, I think it was the Golden Boy. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. King of the, the who was King of the Goldfields? Was that King of the Goldfields? Someone no. that Cal- King of Kalgoorlie. King Someone of, was King of Kalgoorlie. Was that Bill? Not, not is that Ashok? I don't Maybe. know. <laughs> King of Kalgoorlie. Um, no, now, I think Lithium Bill, like there's already a Lithium Joe and Mr. Lithium and yeah. I think we can step it up on money of mine. What have I'm, you got, mate? I'm proposing Bill Spodgebeamant. <laughs> Doesn't that just roll <laughs> off the tongue? Spodgebeamant. Developer Managing Director Bill Spodgebeamant, <laughs> the new big gun in lithium pending. I'd, I'd love to see an ASX announcement signed off. Uh, if, Bill, I get, Bill if I can get quoted in an incumbent media <laughs> source of uh, Bill Spodgebeamant, we're on. So, look, money of mine. Good work, Matty. We will be keenly watching this space, I reckon. So, remember, we've got a, you've got a bit happening in, in and around this region with Mount Marion, Bald Hill, and, and then you you got Lion Town's Forgotten Child, Boldania. And uh, look, Minres, as we said, owned twelve point nine percent of Develop. This will increase a little bit, I think, because Minres owned nineteen point five five of Essential. So we'll get a bit of an uptick there. Um, yeah, what will Develop's role be with Minres? We know Mount Marion's looking to go underground. Plenty to play out to see how quickly Pioneer Dome comes online, um, especially knowing the challenges for water and the like in the region. So yeah, be uh, watching it closely. Exciting. Very exciting, mate. And speak. you mentioned um, Lion Town's Forgotten Child, Boldania there. Well, I'm keen to – let's have a chat about Lion Town. Oh, um, lithium again. Jesus Christ, bloody Goldwigs are going to be sucking like anything after <laughs> no gold getting mentioned today. Anyway, here's a live. Uh, so so with all of the uh, quality interviews that we uploaded last week, we didn't actually discuss the ultimate funding package that Lion Town came out with and – so let's let's have that chat, Matty. They ended up raising $376 million in new equity at $1.80 per share. So that was some way off the um, $3 per share upper mile offer price while that was still around. Well, Met- that's, I think the under, you'd say the undisturbed price before all these Albemarle bids come in was about $1.50 for Lion Town. I think they got up to $1.80, then $1.50. Then all the yeah. hype was from Albemarle bids that were getting knocked back behind closed doors and three bucks. So yeah. I wasn't I – wasn't, it was funny down at the down at my BD experience. Everyone was predicting low twos. I was like, nah, I reckon dollar fifty to a dollar eighty around that range. Did you? Yeah, I was bloody right. I oh, don't, no, mate. That was with no word on the decline. <laughs> but no, I wasn't surprised with the dollar eighty. Uh, well done. Uh, the the yeah, I mean the at the same time as that equity raise happened, um, they also announced a lending syndicate of seven hundred and sixty million Aussie dollars, which replaces the Aussie $300 million debt facility provided by Ford previously. So there's a, a few questions I think we should um, we should rattle through, Maddie. The, uh, the first one is like, you know, the size of the funding package, what do, you, what do we think of it? And I think it's, it's big, but, um, you know, it's probably larger than we expected, but like now, they're now fully funded, you know, you, you, uh, you don't expect any more hiccups in the process of, of building this thing and ramping up because they've got 
excess funds in the door mm. um, that provide a bit of padding should things go wrong along well, the way. Well, yeah, and like when you say padding, it's going to be good to have it with a project of that scale and, and ramp up and, and everything. You don't want to be down to your last buck hoping for your first concentrate sale, I don't think. You want a, you want a bit of a buffer. We all know about the, um, yes, the, the technical risk of um, commissioning a lithium concentrator, especially one of uh, the 3 million tonne scale with flotation included and a pace plan on the back of it. Mm. Um, so, or, yeah, it would be good to have a buffer. It's big a time. big, big operation. It, it's a it's a sizable buffer versus what, um, you know, what the brokers are sort of modelling. Um, they get in the door, so they've, they've you know, gone to a conservative case. But, you know, to your point, there's no steeper discount you'll ever do in mining than raising when you're having some hiccups during ramp up, that 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 raises mm. always so steeply discount. So they're, they're, they're clearly trying to mitigate the, um, you know, provide enough padding should should things, um, you know, not 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 go necessarily as as smooth as um as predicted in the model. And I'll be I'll be interested to see what well, you know future growth capital is going to be at this project because I can't see them doing three to four million ton a year via trucks forever. I can see mm. like underground crushing stations and conveyor systems or oh, things yeah. of the like to, to come into that operation in the future. Right. So you don't have to rely on 20 trucks going up and down yeah. every single day. So, yeah. and that stuff ain't cheap either to yeah. install that. So a lot, yeah, a lot more CapEx to come in in the future, whether yeah. that's funded by future lithium sales will, um, or if they even ever do it, mm. but I'd say it'd be on the radar. Yep. Yep. Right about what about the uh, the now the Ford facility, Trav? Why why have they uh, Ray secured all that debt to replace the Ford facility mm. instead of adding a separate debt facility in addition to the Ford one? Yeah, and especially given the fact that Ford's debt was like on super attractive terms, um, the, the the cost of that debt was something you you never see for a single asset developer getting debt they that the debt with Ford was at BBSW plus 1.5% margin that's um remarkably cheap but so pretty much just above the what the yeah, but, normal interest yeah. rates trend in that yeah. yeah it was it's it was phenomenal right um but well, they they just pretty much wanted to give them the money like yeah. just to just to secure supply <laughs> I mean, 100% felt that way yeah. when, the, when the deal was done. No one can compete with that, not commercial banks or anything, you know what I mean? So, um, but that, Ford might be happy. That, that facility <laughs> uh, had, yeah, senior, senior security, um, which... So is that saying it's the top, the top level of debt that if everything goes to shit, senior. it gets repaid first? Exactly right. Yeah. So senior, a senior lender will be um, highest preference in the in the capital stack. So when yeah. when things if things went tits up, then um, they get they get money back first. So it's the the highest level of um, of assurance you can you can have. But um, but yeah. So you look at this new syndicate, and it doesn't actually specify what the cost of debt is in this in this new syndicate. But you know, I would bet to say that it's. Um, it's it's a bit north of what Ford's facility was priced. They just quote this new the new facilities as um, an attractive margin above BBSY. So I look at it and I think, um, why did they have to refinance Ford? It's probably you know getting intercreditors like when you have multiple financiers, they've all got to sign this intercreditor agreement where they you know agree on the um, on the ranking of each other and and all that sort of stuff. Um, and that stuff is really really hard to do. My read through on this is that getting Ford to kind of agree to have other lenders rank equally with them may have been challenging or, or whatnot. Can so, you can you do can you do that? Yeah, that, that's easy enough to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not easy. It's it's so it's like because yeah. when push comes to shove at the end, it's like right, are we prior, split, <laughs> split priority splitting up who we pay that's, first? That, yeah, when when you Is see that, people ranking pari pari pursuit, that that basically means that hundred percent priority kind of. Um, yeah. we, we rank, we rank the same based on what we're, what we're owed still. Um, and it's just, it's just hard to get lenders to agree to things all at the same time. They all have these credit, really complicated credit approvals processes. So it just appears like the simplest thing to do was to refinance that facility. And even if they're paying a higher interest rate on, um, on the subsequent one, I, I still imagine it's, you know, it's not, it's not a super, um, high cost facility facility because you've got, You've got the likes of of concessional finance there from from ECA and CEFC. So, was there any um was there any word on uh, Miss Miss Gina Hope Ryan Georgina Hope Reinhardt in involved in this placement? Yeah, and this is the thing that uh, caught 
caught, caught my eye, right? There was no mention of Hancock tipping into the placement on a, a pro rata basis, no mention of, of Hancock in those docks at all. And the convention you would normally see when you're doing a big equity raise and you've got a 19.9% shareholder on the register, you normally say that that shareholder is participating on a pro rata basis. Um, and when you think of the dynamics of of raising money and you, you, you're wall-crossing institutions, one of the first questions the institutions are going to ask, they're going to say, well, what is, Han- is Hancock there? Are they, are they, are they in for it? Um, so Hancock's kind of guidance, whether or not they were contributing on a pro rata basis or not, would have really helped in, um, in the price discovery process. Mm. If they were like, yep, we're there at this price, blah, 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 it actually would have helped them kind of get uh, a deal done at a, at a less dilutive raising price. So seeing no mention of Hancock um, is an interesting observation. And I think it leads me to, to, to guess that one of three things has happened to you, Maddie. One is that Hancock actually did participate on, on a pro rata basis, but they it was, chose not to disclose this or Hancock didn't agree for this to be disclosed. Um, I'd find that a bit unusual because like I said, you normally want to you, you normally want to provide some level of reassurance to the market that you know your major shareholders are still tipping in at this price. The second one is that a uh, second possibility is that Hancock wasn't offered stock. So you could imagine a scenario where the the board of Liontown take the view that they want to dilute Hancock's interest. They see them as causing a bit of mischief. Um, I'd find this pretty very very unlikely to be honest with you because um, like. Like why would you why, why would you want to you know upset the the major shareholder and your register mm. like that can cause all sorts of um, damage and uh, so I just doubt that this was actually the case. The third option in my head is that um, Hancock, you know, chose not to participate. So I think of think of this in the sense of like what are, what are Gina's intentions? We've talked about this a lot, and you know my prevailing. Um, theory and the one I still believe is that Gina's intention is for the share price to be as low as possible um, for all the reasons we've discussed in the past. And, you know, if you think about those dynamics, would would Gina have, uh, but, you know, if, if would she even participate or would she be early money in the door if she wants that share price to be as low as possible? Because she, she, if, if that's the case, then you just, you hold out until the very end or you don't participate at all and and that basically lets the, the, the ultimate price of the capital raising done be as low as possible for the, the wall crossing dynamics we spoke about there. Is there a sort of a, a version, a possible second option to option two that you mentioned that all majority of the money just went to close out shorts? Because there was about, I think we talked about last week, there was potentially about $400 million worth of shorts on uh, but I think they were nearly 10% shorted. So a lot of the raise would have just closed out shorts, I would have imagined. The the word on the decline I heard about who the money went to was that um, a, a lot of the, the preference in allocating the capital was towards long-only uh, shareholders. Uh, right, yeah. And that was a deliberate intention um, not to place the money to the hedges who were short. And that's why you saw the offer at a dollar eighty, and then the stock ran as high as nearly two bucks over the next like 24, 48 hours or whatever of trading that, that occurred because the hedges in order to close out their shorts actually had to buy on market to close out their shorts instead of participating yep. in the placement. Hence the, the share price, the slight short, sort of short squeeze. It's back down to a dollar eighty three now, but um, that's kind of one of the dynamics we saw. Oh, so that was it. So if you know that, it's a bit of an arbitrage on the open. You could uh, make a bit of buck off if you knew that the case. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just like saying arbitrage. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, so yeah, there you go. What? Yeah. Um, so what do you think of? I guess the Lion Towns board decision to go. I guess to go down this road, the high. Mm. I suppose you'd say it's ten percent. It's still under their placement capacity, but it's mm. very dilutive equity raise. Tim Tim Gore participated, but didn't participate to his full pro rata entitlement. Um, so I guess what do you think of the board's decision to go down this? Half debt. It's effectively half debt, half equity because it cancels out the Ford facility. Well, I, I sort of zoom out a little bit and think what decisions did they have before this? So we saw the rhetoric that Albemarle had kind of um, withdrawn from the, the, the process. And 
you know, that might have been a bit of a joint decision with Liontown given the complexities to executing a deal. So if you zoom out and think, well, what were the board's two main decisions? Decision one is um, continue with the scheme, put a scheme a scheme implementation deed together with Albemarle and in that in those scheme docs there's a massive break fee um, that would be payable to, to Albemarle in the event that the deal doesn't complete. You can put that to shareholders. Or you go this route and sort of, you know, the deal's sort of torn up. You kind of have to address the, the, the funding gap with this whole um, this whole package, be it both debt and equity, and, and then and then kind of talk to developing this under your banner. Um, so what they've, if, if those are your two options, I think, you know, it makes sense what we've seen eventuate here because how the hell do you sell a scheme implementation deed to your shareholders um, on the basis that, you know, you actually don't actually, you don't see a pathway to this completing. You're going to have to pay a big break fee and then things could look a lot worse even further down the track. So um, it's a tough decision to have to face, but, you know, in the context of, of the dynamics of the share registry, it makes sense. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see as we harp and harp on about is what Gina's uh, 20% stake is going to do. They're just going to wait for ramp up and ramp up issues and start accumulating at a much lower price. But just remember, we say, look, Gina's got taken a lot of control of Liontown now to for other bidders. But then if she wants to do something, remember Tim Goyd has just got as much control over her plus all his followers as well to block anything she wants to do as well. So it'd be interesting to see how that dynamic and relationship pans out. Um, yeah. would, uh, it's, it wouldn't be good if the 15% and the 20% shareholder aren't getting along. But <laughs> for this to actually succeed, they will have to. Yeah, it's price can align a lot of incentives, Maddie. So, yeah. <laughs> We're about <laughs> to find be, out. It'll pan out. Hopefully, hopefully, it could drag on for bloody ever for all we know. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for that cover, beauty. Cheers, money miners. Thanks for the sponsors for the day. Our little pitch at the start of the show. If you want to get in touch for about uh, partnering with Money of Mine, the uh, most targeted niche audience in the mining and finance industry in Australia, we'd uh, love to chat to you all. Reach out and to our existing sponsors. Thank you, guys. Bloody legends. At uh, they're still here. Yeah, that is a testament. They keep wanting more. We haven't. Do. Well, I don't think we've had anyone like since they've come on. No one's dropped off. Smack, K Drill, Anytime Exploration, JP Search, and Terra Capital. Legends. We're just absolutely loving it. Good fun. Oh, oh, beauty. That was that was who the sponsors were. You did the <laughs> rattle off then. I thought you were just, yeah. No, good stuff, Trav. <laughs> right, I heard Roo, Money Miners. Heard Roo. JD, hope you're all right in Melbourne, Cobber. The information contained in this episode of Money of Mine is of general nature only. It does not take into account the objectives, financial situation, or needs of any particular person. Before making any investment decision, you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives, financial situation and needs.